Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. ...to this church as we continue in our study of Acts. So Acts, as most of you know, you've been with us, is a study of how the new... Testament church, the new covenant church of Jesus Christ is established throughout Acts, the early church. Paul has been on missionary journey after missionary journey. Here we are again. Paul's on another missionary journey. So that's where we'll pick up today is in Acts chapter 19. I want to set the tone for the text, kind of tell you what we have going on, and then we'll go through the word of God together. But 2,000 years ago, Paul is coming into this world known as Ephesus. So Ephesus is a major part of modern-day Turkey. It's a, it's, some would say it was the crown jewel of Asia Minor, which was modern-day Turkey. There's about 400,000 people living there. It's a major metropolitan area. Um, it's this pagan metropolitan environment. It's a prosper, prosperous center of commerce and political power. And a dominant feature of the city is this giant temple with 177 marble pillars that is dedicated to the god of fertility known as Artemis. So when you start thinking of that, these Ephesians really worshipped many different gods. And you see in this time as a lot of magicians, black magic, astrologers, sorcerers, that's the type of environment it was. So picture it. Giant temple built to a god that's not real. Magicians, sorcerers, black magic, all of these different things going on. I mean, sorcery goes hand in hand with these magicians and astrologers and sorcerers who are offering their services for a fee. And I know a lot of us, they don't like to think that this kind of stuff exists, sorcery and black magic, but I'm telling you that it does, and you need to stay away from it. So when Paul arrives in Ephesus, you can just picture him coming into this town, right? Paul doesn't know anybody in the town. He doesn't have any money. No one's come before him to, to say that Paul's coming with this new message of salvation for both the Jews and the Gentiles through Jesus. There's been no forewarning of him coming. He's got no money. He doesn't know anybody. And here he comes into this major metropolitan city. And as I read this, I couldn't help but thinking about moving down here to Fort Lauderdale area. And you know the big guitar as you go into that, that, the land, and I'm like, wow, this is similar to Ephesus as you see all the sin and all the pagans and all the worship of all these other things. And I kind of thought about that when I, when, as I was coming in today. But basically, Paul comes in, and the Bible tells us that Paul arrives in Ephesus, and he's working miracles. People are amazed at the miracles he's working. Um, diseases are healed. People who are sick are, are now well. Demons are cast out. So many things are going on. The Bible tells us that it's so strong that even the handkerchiefs that Paul is carrying, if you touch them, they were taking them to people and people were being healed. So as you can imagine, these sorcerers and astrologers and magicians, they wanted them some of that. They, they wanted them some of that. They wanted to take Jesus' name and invoke it in some of their magical incantations so that they could be successful in their jobs because this is how they made their money. And that's what we're going to see today in, the, in this text, these people who miss the point. They saw the name of Jesus just a way to make money, and they tried to invoke the name of Jesus without having any bearings on who he was. So if you'll look with me um, in your Bibles or in the text on the screen, we'll be in Acts 19, verses 11 through 20. 
verse 11 tells us. And God was, extra- was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the inerrant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, and he said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. He mastered them all and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So picture that for a second. (laughs) So you have these seven men who are sorcerers. They'll probably say whatever. Hey, demon, come out in the name of Hindu, Buddha, Jesus, whoever. But they try to invoke this name of Jesus, and then the demon tells them. He says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And then he gets up there and he whips them, takes off all their clothes, and you got seven naked men running out through the city. <laughs> what a story, right? What a story. I don't want to focus too much on the seven naked guys this morning. I want to focus on the reaction to the people. So if you'll look with me in verse 17, and it says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, understandably so, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging of their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts, they brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver so that the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily. What a story. This narrative story of these men who tried to invoke the name of Jesus and then the reaction of these people. And as so often that you see in the book of Acts, this narrative story reveals a pattern. Through the events that Luke has recorded here that are specific to this ministry in Ephesus, we see the Holy Spirit is at work. It's at work, and I want to look at how the Holy Spirit is at work, and, and you can see how it moves when it encounters unbelief in the world, when he encounters unbelief in the world. I'm not talking about a ghost spirit. I'm talking about the third part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. It's three in one, a triune God, the God that the helper that God sends us to live inside of us when he sent out his spirit at Pentecost. And it's just so amazing to see through these events that Luke has recorded here how the Spirit moves and it reveals this pattern that always happens when the Spirit gets involved, especially when it gets involved in a major way. I mean, this was a major undertaking. Everyone in the city was taking notes. People's lives were radically transformed. People were getting healed. Diseases were... This was a big, big deal. The Holy Spirit was moving. People were getting saved. Opposition was forming. This was a really big deal. So let me show you what I mean when the Holy Spirit's at work. Certain things, they happen. They happened 2,000 years ago. 
and they happen today. So let's look at how the Spirit was involved in this story. In the first place, when the Spirit gets involved, that first act of the Spirit moving in your life, when God's calling you to His own, when He when it encounters unbelief, and for the first time you see God for who He is, there is always going to be fear and conviction of your sin. That's exactly what we see here in this text in verse 17 and 18. It says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them. You see, when a person knows himself in light of God, when they see God for who He is, and I'm telling you there is a God, a creator of the universe, who formed this earth, who holds it together, who made the seas, who made the sky, who made the stars. And when you see that perfectness of who He is, how powerful He really is, and then you look at yourself, fear falls on you. When you can't hide behind your idols anymore, when you can't hide behind your magic books anymore and your magical spells anymore, all these things you're holding to on in the world, when you meet God face to face, and I'm telling you this morning, you're going to meet Him face to face on this side of eternity or the next, fear is going to strike you. I'm talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the one that was, the one that is, and the one that is to come, the God of the universe. When you see Him in His divine presence, you hold that mirror and you look at yourself. You become convicted. It hurts. That first act of, as you're witnessing to people, I've seen it time and time again as we baptize people, as people come to know the Lord is, they hurt. They see God for the first time. And it's a characteristic feature of the gospel experience so far in Acts as well. At Pentecost, we read that the congregation that witnessed the power of the Spirit and heard Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter, what must I do to be saved? Because they knew that they had wronged God. They knew how filthy they were. What must I do to be saved? They cry out. They knew themselves for the first time. Guilty as sinners before a thrice holy God. And they were afraid. Because when you see yourself in His divine presence, immediately and intuitively a recognition of the majesty and the holiness of God in light of the unworthiness of oneself is so evident. That's the first act of the Spirit. That's how He convicts people. He draws people to Himself. It's easy to see that in this text, especially when God's moving in a major way. People are coming to Christ left and right. This experience is always present. So not only are you seeing this fear of God in Ephesus, it says fear fell upon them, but you're also seeing their, their conviction feeling bad for what they've done. It tells us, we read, many came confessing and divulging their practices. That's mean many people came and said, guess what? I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. I did the wrong things. I see you, God, for who you are, and I see myself for who I am, and it's ugly. I'm trying to get away from it, God, but I can't, and I don't want to run from it any longer. I want to tell you everything. I confess everything, and I lay it at your feet. You see, when human beings... Start reckoning with themselves honestly as they do under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They don't like what they see. They don't like looking at God for who He is and looking at their self at the same time. So that's the first thing that we see as the Spirit moves. This fear of God and this conviction of sin. Next, what happens? Second, 
due to this recognition that they have a serious moral problem that they can't rectify. They see Jesus for who he is. It's the only way to heaven. They see Jesus for the first time as their way out. And a great admiration is formed in their hearts due to that divide between who they are and who God is. We read that in Ephesus in verse 17, it says the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Extolled means one thing. I googled it. It means praised enthusiastically. Why? Because he's the only way. They saw themselves in light of God and they saw their condition for the first time and they were honest with themselves. They weren't lying anymore about what they had done. They saw God. They saw they had a problem. And then they saw Jesus. His name was praised enthusiastically. They were shouting and Jesus became impossibly great in their lives. Jesus is the only answer to the, to the moral problem that we're facing today. And when you acknowledge the ugliness that so much of you have in your inner and outer life, the pride, the pettiness, the selfishness, the disobedience, all those things you want nobody else to see, you realize just how precious Jesus' gift is. I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus is beautiful. That he would come down from heaven, God in the flesh as Jesus Christ, live a perfect life, die on the cross a horrible death that he didn't deserve. With you on his mind as he was on that cross with the blood pouring out of him to pay for your sins so that you could be reconciled back to the Father. He died on the cross, rose on the third day and seated at the right hand of God. When you see your problem, you start looking at Jesus a whole different way. He becomes impossibly great in your life. And that's what God said would happen, that the Spirit would throw a bright light on Jesus Christ and His power to save us from our sins. You see, when the Spirit's at work, Jesus Christ is everything, impossibly great, very great. He's the highest it can be. There's no words to describe Him. That's why I'm here today, to tell you about Him, to support the mission of this church, to make Jesus known, so that the Spirit could come into your life, convict you, you can see who you are. You can see your problem. So you can fix it. So you can accept Jesus so that you can be in heaven. I'm here this morning because I want you to be there. I'm telling you the way to get there. I'm telling you you got a problem. That's the truth. You say, Jimmy, is that what you believe? That's what this says. It doesn't matter what I believe or what I say. This is what this says. We have a moral problem in this country, in this church, in this world, all around us that needs to be dealt with. And there's only one way. It's Jesus. So don't, don't miss this. There's going to be a fear of God. There's going to be a new conviction of sin. And then the estimation of Jesus is going to be so high that he's impossibly great. But don't leave it there. Some of you have got there. You see Jesus for how great he is. Fine. But let me tell you something. It must produce a change in your life. The third work of the Spirit is there will be repentance and new obedience. We don't like that, do we? We don't like being obedient. There must be a change. In light of what you now know as the Spirit works in these people's lives, there has to be a change, right? Because you know who Jesus is, you know your problem, you see how great He is, and in light of that, there has to be a change. And I'm not talking about a change where you're holding on to some sin and, and, and it's holding you back from fully going in with God. I'm talking about a clean 
break. Look what these people did in the text. They had all their sin so publicly announced. They were sorcerers, wizards. That's what they did. That's how they made their livelihood. Open sin out in front of everybody, not worried about anything. But what was remarkable about these Ephesian conversions, so many of them as there were, was the radical change that we see in the people's lives. I mean, the whole city took note. They went and they got their books. They said, I don't care what my wife says. I don't care if this is how I make my money now. I don't care what it is. I don't care what my friends say. I'm going to take these books. I'm going to throw them in the front of this city so everybody can see that I'm not who I used to be, and I'm going to light them on fire. And that wasn't, that wasn't a cheap thing to do. Number one, that's how they made their money. Number two, back then, 50,000 gold pieces was between, estimated to be between 3 and $6 million in our value. Are you willing to lay that down? These people said, I'm going to take 3 to $6 million and I'm going to burn it right here in front of the city because I now know who Jesus is and I can't live like I used to live anymore. There was repentance and new obedience, a clean break where they weren't holding on to anything. You know, maybe I'll just keep one book. You know, I might need that book, you know. It wasn't like that. I give it all because he gave it all. You know, these people who had practiced magic arts. Look, it was common in Ephesus. There wasn't nobody else convicting them. The Holy Spirit was convicting them. Everybody else said it's okay. Everybody practiced magic arts here. Hey, go down to that Artemis God, that God of fertility. You've seen that temple? Man, that's a nice temple. Let me tell you what, that temple leads you straight to hell. Okay. It leads you straight to hell when you're practicing things that aren't the truth. It leads you straight to hell. He, they did this, even though it was a common practice in Ephesus, they said, look, I now know the truth, and in light of that, there's going to be new obedience in my life. Clean break. Not only that, I'm going to do it publicly. I want everybody to see. I want them to know that I'm not who I am anymore because I met him. I was wit- witnessing to a young kid the other day, and um, he, he said, what do you mean you met him? <laughs> I said, look, I met him just as real as you are in me. The Holy Spirit moved in my life. I saw who I was. I broke down in tears. I saw Jesus for who he was. I begged him to save me. And he did. And every day I'm growing closer and more like him so I can serve him. I met him so I'm not who I used to be. These people met him and their whole lives were changed. Like I said, the value of these scrolls was between 3 and $7 million in today's money. What did their wives say about their loss of income? <laughs> Probably didn't look good, you know. You're looking at your money and you're looking at all your worldly things. And didn't care because they knew that it was just a charade and it didn't matter. I'm really big on that, too, about things that matter. In 100 years, I don't care where you worked. I don't care what you did. I don't care what. They're going to put you in the ground from dust to dust. That's what you're going to turn back into. But you have an inner being inside of you that's going to spend eternity somewhere. That's what's important. So that's what we see here, this new obedience and this repentance that forms as a third work of the Spirit. And then fourthly, and finally, the work of the Spirit is going to produce opposition. You know, throughout these Acts missionary journeys, we've seen great fruit. We've seen great gospel advance. We've seen many people be saved in a major way. But We've also seen fierce opposition. There's been those who have furiously and bitterly opposed its influence. I mean, throughout, you can think about Paul. He was stoned on one occasion in prison, left for dead, beaten, 
chained to Roman soldiers, hurried out of towns to avoid violent opposition. They were out for blood. You've got to understand this gospel news that we're preaching this morning has adversaries. And it's going to produce opposition. Can't be any other way. The gospel is inherently divisive. Why is that? Why, why must it be that way? Well, you have to just look at what we believe, okay? <laughs> it has to be that way. Christians believe certain things, and we need to understand why it must disrupt, divide, and destroy, even as it heals and saves. Say, so what are you talking about, preacher? Well, I'm telling you this. The Spirit and the gospel have adversaries that are determined to oppose us at every time. And let me tell you something. When you take your magic books and you take them to the center of the city and you burn them on fire, you inherently condemn everyone around you who continues to use them. And That's where the opposition is going to come. That's where the devil is going to come. The minute you decide in your life that you've had enough, that you see Jesus and you want to accept him for who he is, and you take your past life and you try to get rid of it, everyone around you who still practices those things are going to fight you. You think you're better than everybody, don't you? You think you know the way. Look at all these other churches. Look at all this, but you cannot care about that because this is the truth. And you have to handle those people with grace and with love so that they can know the truth too. You know why? What would a man tell you this morning if I could pull him out of hell? If I, could tell, if I could just pull one of them out of hell and set him on this stage, what would he tell you this morning? He would say, whatever you got going in your life, drop it. Look at Jesus for who he is. He's the only way to heaven. If I could pull him up and let him, he'd be a lot better preacher than me. I bet you he'd have a lot to say about who Jesus is. Don't fall victim to this opposition. Make that clean break. Take your magic books, whatever sin is in your life, lay it at God's feet and light it on fire. Do it publicly. Show them that you're different. So that tells us, man, that tells us the story. But let us turn a light on our own selves now. Since we know that the Spirit of God's at work in Christian hearts and in the church, and we know how it moves through Christians in this world, it's a pretty big question. Is this happening to us? Is this happening to us? us what do I mean by that do you fear God do you hate your sin is Jesus name praised in your life how much value is Jesus to you you see this pattern of life illustrated so powerfully and Acts 19 is the template of faithful Christian experience and behavior. It's a mirror where we find ourselves to look at. Because the truth is, every one of us in this room are somewhere on that journey. We have the Spirit living in us, or the Spirit's drawing us to our own. Um, we're somewhere within there. We, maybe we've never feared God before. Maybe we fear Him, but we're, we haven't really found Jesus's true worth and accepted them into our lives. Maybe we have, but now we have some things that we're holding on to. There's no true repentance, no true obedience. We're all somewhere on that journey. So we know this is how the Spirit moves. We know this is how God moves. So is this what's happening to you this morning? We're all somewhere on this journey with the Holy Spirit. And I want to make this abundantly clear. 
Every time I get up here to preach, I want to make this so clear, the gospel. Don't listen to anybody else that tells you anything else because I'm going to be responsible in heaven for what I'm saying right now. You're going to be responsible for hearing it. I'm telling you this morning, there is a God, a king of the universe who loves you more than you could ever imagine. So much so that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to hang in your place so that you could have forgiveness for sins. That's who Jesus is. Be free from the bondage of sins. And I'm going to tell you very plainly this morning, there is no other way. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's grace, which is unmerited favor. And if you're holding on to something in this world, you're holding on to the wrong things. This morning, Jesus invites you to have a clean break from your past. He's worried about your future. He says, come as you are. I love you so much. I know everything about you. I have plans for you. If you're listening to a word from Jesus, that's what he would say this morning because he's already said it through his word. I love you. I want you to know me. I want to save you. I'm here to save you. That's the whole purpose of this. It's, 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 I already made a plan for you from the foundation of the universe to send my son to save you. All you have to do is accept it. This is the gospel. It's the good news that we have a way to be reconciled back to the Father. When you see this precious gift that's given in the form of Jesus Christ, it should bring you to tears. Because one day every tongue is going to bow. Every eye, everybody's going to see God for who he is face to face. And I know fear is going to fall on your face. Because if today was your last day, wouldn't you want to go back to this moment here where you have this opportunity to get it right? Acts 2.38 tells us how to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it says. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you get this Holy Spirit to live inside of you that was poured out at Pentecost, this third part of the Trinity, to guide you as a moral compass, to be with you, to strengthen you, to reconcile you back to the Father through Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized. Come to an altar of grace. Accept Jesus for who He is. Make a clean break. Do it publicly in a baptism so everybody knows that you're not the same. And then your new life should be led with new repentance and obedience to Jesus Christ and everybody should see your, your clean break. And when that fourth work of the Holy Spirit is completed, people around you will be drawn to you. Because I'm telling you, that's the work of the Spirit. God wants, his, his will is that no one should perish, that all should be saved. So I'm going to ask you one more time, is that what's happening to you? Or are you stuck? I'm going to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is the same as he was 2,000 years ago, as he is today. He's in this building in Delray Beach this morning. It's the same gospel. It's the same God. The God who, who wrote this down is the same God that hears our prayers. He hears us preaching this morning, shouting shouts to Him. And He's calling out some of us to examine our lives in light of what we've heard. Jesus stands at the door and knocks today on some of you guys' lives, asking that you turn for your sin and accept Jesus for who He is. And as we bow our heads and the worship team makes their way back up here, Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known.
We cry out, we cry out.